This past month, we've been focusing on grace and how God gives us grace enough, grace enough for eternal life, grace enough for abundant life today, that God's grace is enough for the forgiveness of our sins, for the saving of our souls, but it's also enough grace for living our lives day after day. And we've specifically talked about how God gives us grace enough to grieve. He gives us grace enough to be grateful. He gives us grace enough to serve. And finally this morning, He gives us grace enough to give. I want to invite you to turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And as you do that, I'm going to have a word of prayer for us. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. We're thankful, Lord, for the journey You've led us on this past month as we have explored about Your grace that surpasses our understanding, Your grace that, that more than supplies our needs. You, you give us an abundance of that grace so that it can overflow from our lives and bless the lives of others. And we pray now, Lord, as we conclude this series of messages that You will continue to speak to us from Your Word and convict us where we need to be convicted, challenge us where we need to be challenged, encourage and equip us where we need to be motivated and given what we need to be obedient to Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be going back and forth between 8 and 9. So kind of keep, keep your fingers on that. And we're going to be going back and forth here. Let's look at chapter 8, verse 7. Paul says, Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. Now turn over to chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. And then look at verses 14 and 15. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Now, the context for this entire letter, but especially these two chapters, is Paul's third missionary journey. And, and part of the impetus to that third journey that Paul took was to go back to all of these churches that he had planted in Asia Minor and in Greece. He had, he had gone through uh, all these Gentile churches mainly. He's going back through them to collect an offering, an offering to send back to Jerusalem to the believers there, because they are suffering extreme poverty, they're, they're suffering persecution, there's a famine in the land, there's a great need for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And so he's going to all these churches, collecting this offering to take back for them. And in these two chapters in particular, he's talking about this offering and he's encouraging the Corinthian Christians to quit dragging their feet and fulfill the promise they've made. They've already agreed to give to this offering, but they've been slow to follow through on their commitment. And why is that? Well, the Corinthian church, if you know anything about First and Second Corinthians, was not a healthy church. They were an inwardly focused church filled with inwardly focused Christians. They were divided, they lacked unity, and they didn't have really any deep appreciation of God's grace. You know, when we as Christians truly believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive, we can experience the grace of giving. And that's what the Corinthian Christians had lost sight of. They, they had become so focused on themselves, they forgot that God blessed them so they could in turn bless others. 
So in these two chapters, Paul gives us three examples for us to look at. The Macedonian Christians, which he'll mention, the Corinthian Christians, and Jesus himself. And by looking at these three, we're going to learn that there is grace enough to give. First of all, there's grace enough to give no matter the circumstances. No matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on in our lives, there's grace enough to give. Look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So these Macedonian Christians, they themselves were experiencing some times of extreme hardship. Yet they were still generous in their gifts to the Jerusalem believers. They were going above and beyond even Paul's expectations for them. They themselves were in deep poverty, likely because of persecution. How easy would it have been for them to say to Paul, Paul, listen, we would love to give. Oh, our hearts go out to our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, but we got our own problems. We're struggling. we got to make our own ends meet before we can help someone else out. They could have easily, and, and, and in many people's eyes, justifiably be able to say that. But they instead gave joyfully and freely. And Paul almost gives us a formula there in verse 2. Look what he says. He basically says that when we have severe trials and extreme poverty, if we add to those things God's grace it will result in overflowing joy and rich generosity. That's almost counterintuitive. That from our lack, from our suffering, from our own trials and poverty, if you just add God's grace to it, it will overflow with joy and with generosity. They refused to use their difficult circumstances as an excuse. Instead, they gave generously and joyfully out of God's grace to them. Now, I get it. I understand. Economic circumstances, financial difficulties, that's a real thing. And it's a reality that we can't afford to ignore. But I've also learned that whether it's a season of want or a season of abundance, whether you've got a lot or you don't have much, we can always find an excuse, a reason not to give. Can't we? We always have this temptation to be tight-fisted with our hard-earned dollars. So how can we be less like the Corinthians here and more like the Macedonians? Well, if you believe that by the grace of God you have access to eternal riches in Christ Jesus, then you should also believe what Jesus says in Matthew 6. When He says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. We need to learn from these struggling first century believers that no matter our circumstances, there is grace enough for us to give. Just like the widow. Even if it's just two mites. Even if it's just the last two pennies you have to rub together. God says that if you will give, He will bless. He will see that. He will acknowledge that. He will supply our needs when we trust in Him. There's grace enough to give no matter the circumstances. And secondly, there's grace enough to give enthusiastically. Look back at verses 3 and 4. Chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Paul goes on to say, I can testify 
that according to their abilities, talking again about the Macedonians, according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And then on in that first part of verse 5, he says, and not just as we had hoped. So in other words, they went beyond Paul's expectations. Now look over at chapter 9, verse 7. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So the Macedonian Christians didn't need their arms twisted. Paul didn't have to put any undue pressure on them. They were more than willing to give their share of this offering. In fact, they begged for the privilege to be a part of this effort. How often have you begged God to let he, to, for Him to let you give? Have you begged God, God, just let me give more. God, just let me do more for you. These Christians gave voluntarily. They gave eagerly because they had experienced God's grace so richly. See, grace not only frees us from our sin, it frees us from ourselves. You know, last week we talked about how serving not only comes out of the freedom we have in Christ, but serving sets us free. It sets us free from guilt. We can serve in love. It sets us free from this desire to be rewarded. Instead, we serve out of relationship. Listen, giving is not that different than serving. In fact, giving is just a different form of serving. Service is a stewardship of our time and our talents. Giving is a stewardship of the tithe and our treasures. They're two sides of the same coin. And God's grace is the only explanation for the eagerness and generosity of these Macedonian believers. And guess what? That same grace is given to us. We are recipients of the same grace they received. Are we eager to give to the Lord? Are we begging God to let us be more a part of what He's doing in the world? How generous are we being with the resources that God has entrusted to us. There's grace enough to give no matter your circumstances in life. There's grace enough to give enthusiastically. And third, there's grace enough to give ourselves. Look at verse uh, 5 through 7 in chapter 8. Paul goes on to say that, that they gave not just as we had hoped, instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So he urged Titus that just as he had begun, he should also complete among you this act of grace. So Paul has sent Titus ahead to be at work in the Corinthian church to collect this offering. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. Listen, if we give ourselves to God, we're going to have little trouble giving Him our time, our energy, and our resources. If you've already given yourselves to God, it's then only natural that you're going to want to give yourselves to His bride, the church. You're going to want to give yourselves to His mission to make disciples of Jesus from all generations among our neighbors and the nations. The Bible teaches us that it's impossible to love God and ignore the needs of the people around us. How can we say that we love God if we don't care about the very people made in His image for whom Jesus died? 
If our heart doesn't break for those who are lost and dying in their sins, how can we say that we're passionately in love with Jesus who gave His life for them? When we bring to God His tithe, when we give our offerings and time and talents, this is a spiritual matter because we are reflecting the image in which we were made. We are created in God's image to be givers because guess what? God is a giver. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. And we should be willing to give ourselves to Him, to His church, and to a world lost and dying in its sin. Paul says in Acts 20, 24, he says, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose, this is the reason he lives, is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Boy, that should be the prayer of each of us. Lord, my life is of no value to me except for this, that I finish the work that You've given me. And that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus in word and in deed, to make disciples of all nations, to fulfill the Great Commission. And guess what? That's not just something He gave to preachers. That's something He gave to every believer in Jesus Christ. We all have this ministry to complete. Paul says that these Corinthian Christians were excelling in many things. He doesn't often say good things about the Corinthians. So, so this is profound. He says that they're excelling in faith. They've got gifted teachers. They have knowledge of God's Word. They're enthusiastic. They have love for Paul and for his team. They were excelling at many things. Well, guess what? First Baptist Thompson is also excelling at many things. We've been blessed beyond measure, and I honestly believe our church does a great job of taking that blessing of God and using it to pass on and bless others. I want to share with us just a few examples of how our church has been excelling in the grace of giving. This past year, through our monthly ministry collection in the atrium, that's the blue box in the atrium by the elevator, and through other donations that people have made, along with a little assistance from the Go and Tell Fund, we have done some amazing things this year. This is just a sampling. We provided a hundred welcome baskets to women escaping abusive situations as they go to safe homes in Augusta. Women who are, who are fleeing oftentimes for their safety and lives or that of their children, and they get a basket from our church the minute they walk in the door at Safe Homes Augusta. We gave, exceeding our goal, we gave 329 shoeboxes to Operation Christmas Child. I'm so excited about that. We exceeded our goal this year. Uh, we've not often done that in years past, so I'm thankful for that. And then we processed another 1,500 shoeboxes from churches in our area, and I am grateful for our team who worked so hard the past week and a half or so to do that. Let's give them a hand, by the way, just to thank them for that. We have 75 wheelchair ramps that are out being used right now in our surrounding area. We gave 95 new teacher bags to McDuffie County teachers. We, uh, one of our Sunday school classes has provided 50 bags for swing bed patients up at Piedmont McDuffie. So when those patients are coming there, they're there for rehab, they're transitioning, uh, hopefully they get to go home soon. They've got a bag of some stuff that can keep them occupied, and they've got resources to do even more when those run out. We have bags of hygiene items and gift cards that we give to homeless or transient people coming to our church 
for help and I can't even begin to count the hundreds and hundreds of pounds of food items we've donated to manna. That's just a sample of some of the ways this church's generosity is touching lives in McDuffie County and in in the CSRA. Through last Sunday, we have given $43,226 to our Go and Tell Mission Fund, which if we keep up this pace, this next month will mean that that's the most money we've ever given to this fund. It breaks our previous record. Amen to that. And when you combine this with the money we have in the budget through your undesignated tithes, we are giving $10,687 to the Kilpatrick Baptist Association, $9,312 to Manna, our local food pantry, and $9,012 to Smoky Mountain Resort Ministries as they minister to people who live, play, and work in the Great Smoky Mountains and in Sevier County. From our Go and Tell Fund alone through the end of October, we've also given $3,847 to the Georgia Baptist Children's Home, $6,700 to Global Hunger Relief, $2,500 to Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief, uh, almost $1,700 going towards supplies for our Honduras mission team to take down and to bless the people there in Honduras. And then we've got a fund for our own church's local mission projects like that Sunday school class I mentioned, the wheelchair ramps, the new teacher bags, things that we do locally here. We've got almost $14,000 in that fund. Praise God for the generosity of His people here at First Baptist Thompson. And I'm also proud to say that this year we have exceeded all of our special mission offering goals, which means that in next year's budget we're raising those goals. We have given $5,126 to Mission Georgia. That's $1,500 over our goal. That's going to help our state convention uh, tackle five ministry areas, human trafficking in Georgia, childhood literacy in Georgia, maternity care, foster care and adoption, and reaching the refugees and international people here in Georgia. God is bringing the nations to us, and we can reach them right here in our state. Praise God. In our 2022, because this we're coming up on 2023, in our 2022 Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions, we exceeded our goal over $4,000. We gave $17,303 to international missions. Every penny of that goes on the mission field overseas to reach the nations. And we are reaching our neighbors through the North American Mission Board as we gave over $1,500 over our goal, 11456 through the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Again, let's give God praise for this. Amen? I'm so proud. I'm so excited of what God is doing through our church family. But what about you and your family? What about me and my family? Have we considered how we can excel more and more in this grace of giving as we give our time and our talents? as we share our life experiences and wisdom with others, as we comfort those who are suffering through or struggling through things we have suffered and struggled through? What about all the ways that God has blessed us materially? How can you excel in hospitality and opening up your home or your, or your dining room table to a neighbor that's maybe in need or lonely or to, or to invite a new family at our church over for dinner after church one Sunday? or to have your Sunday school class over, or to invite that friend or coworker for dinner that you're trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you loan to others 
the things that God has blessed you with. Maybe you've got a, a vacation home or a rarely used extra car or a lawnmower. Imagine if our church, with all the resources we have, if we were sharing that with each other and with people in need, imagine the impact that God could, could work through us in our community. And, and as I've mentioned before, the church office would love to maintain a list of some of those special items that you may have that you could say, listen, if somebody's really in need, I've got this, I've got that, I can help in this way. And we'd love to be able to take that need and meet it up with that resource that God has blessed our church with. Can you imagine someone saying, I think I know everything I could ever know about the Bible. I've got it. I don't need to study it anymore. I don't need to read it anymore. I've got it. Or imagine someone saying, you know, I don't need to grow in my faith anymore. I now have perfect faith. How ridiculous would that be, right? But what about our need to grow and excel more in our capacity to serve and give and share? Are you content with your level of serving? With your level of giving? Like the Corinthian Christians, we need to examine how well we are excelling in this gracious act of giving. But we can't excel in giving if we're withholding ourselves from God's rule and reign in our hearts. We need to surrender ourselves first to God and then we'll find that giving and serving flows more freely and joyfully and generously from our hearts. He wants us to give ourselves to Him first. There's grace enough for that. And there's grace enough for us to give like Jesus. Look at chapter 8, verse 8. Paul says, I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. And then look at chapter 9, verses 12 through 15. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. We looked at these verses a few weeks ago as we talked about grace enough for gratitude. He says, Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God, meaning the, the believers in Jerusalem, for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Our motivation for giving, Paul says, should be the same as that is for Jesus. Love. Love is the reason that we give. Notice Paul says, I'm not ordering you to give, but I'm encouraging you to give. And he encourages them to give by lifting up the example and the attitude of the Macedonian Christians and of Jesus Himself. Like Jesus, the Macedonians were poor, yet they gave sacrificially, exceeding all expectations. Now, the Corinthians, they said that they loved Paul. They said they loved the other believers. But Paul challenges them to put their money where their mouth is and prove their love by their actions. Grace-giving is evidence of our love for Christ, our love for His bride, the church, and our love for a world that's lost and dying. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not hold on to His divine privilege with a tight fist. He left His kingly throne to become a servant. And He took upon Himself 
your sin and my sin. In His human body, He bore in His flesh our guilt and our shame. He left the glory of heaven to come to a world where He wouldn't even have a place to lay His head. And in that ultimate act of sacrificial giving, He took upon Himself the ultimate poverty. He took your poverty and my poverty upon Himself so He could give us the riches of His grace. He took your sin and my sin upon Himself, becoming sin Himself, that we might be the righteous of God. We who are spiritually bankrupt can now share in Christ's eternal riches. As Paul says in Romans 8, 17, we are now heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. So having experienced this grace, how can we refuse to give to others in His name? God proved His love to us by giving us His best. He gave Jesus truly an indescribable gift. And guess what? We can also express the genuineness of our love for God and for others as we give, as we serve. Because there is also grace enough to give willingly. To give willingly. Look back at chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. And in this matter, I am giving advice because it is profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task so that just as there was, a, there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And then look over at chapter 9, verse 5. Therefore, I consider it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. So the Corinthian Christians initially were eager to be a part of this offering. They wanted to participate, but they weren't following through on their commitment. There's a difference between having a willingness to do something and actually following through and doing it, isn't there? Parents, right? If your kids are willing to obey, but they don't obey, have they obeyed? No. That's disobedience. If you've got employees, if they're willing to do their job, but they don't do their job, did they do their job? No. Students, if you're willing to do your homework and you're excited about that assignment, that ever happen? But you don't turn it in, what do you get? A zero. You don't get an E for effort. You get an F for failure, right? That's that's what's happening here. Willingness is not a substitute for doing, for giving, for serving. But if our giving is motivated by grace, we will give willingly. Not because we're forced to, not because we've been made guilty to do it. We're going to do it enthusiastically and cheerfully. In our Old Testament reading... In Malachi 3, it talks about bringing the whole tithe into God's storehouse. Tithe literally means a tenth. Let's look back at verses 8 through 10 of this. God asks, He says, Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tithe, the full tenth, into the storehouse 
So there may be food in my house. Test me in this way. It's the only time in the Bible that we're commanded to test God. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. In the Old Testament, God commanded His people to return 10% of their increase to the temple storehouse. And this was used to care for the, the orphan, the widow, the poor. It was used to support the priests and just to support the general ministry and work of the temple. God was very serious about His people, Israel, tithing. It was a recognition that everything belonged to God. It reminded them that everything was a gift of God's grace, even the land that they were living on, the land they were working, when they raised this produce, that it was a gift of God to them. They were only managing God's assets. It belonged to Him. It didn't belong to them. Bringing God His tithe was a debt they owed, and if you didn't pay your debt, you were robbing God. That's why Malachi says to bring the tithe into the storehouse, not give the tithe. We do not give God our tithe because it's already His. The tithe already belongs to Him. We owe it to Him. We're to bring it to Him to His storehouse, which today is the local church, not the temple. This is where worship and ministry and service and meeting people's needs is done through in God's kingdom. But guess what? In the New Testament, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament... The tithe is no longer the standard. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the standard. And Jesus gave His all to pay our all, and so all to Him I owe. Everything. We are still only stewards, managers, wisely handling all that God has gifted us. The tithe is the bare minimum that we're expected to bring to God. He still expects us to take that other 90% and use it wisely for His glory and to use it generously to help others and to use it sacrificially to extend His kingdom through the spread of the gospel around the world. Notice in this text, God doesn't expect us to give beyond what He has already given us. Paul says that. Whether we're talking about tithing or going over and beyond, we give in proportion to what God entrusts to us. That's what Paul says. We can think of tithing as training wheels on a bicycle. Okay, you learned to ride a bicycle. Maybe you had training wheels like I did. I finally got them off about three years ago. It was great. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, when you first are riding that bicycle, you've got those training wheels on, they're kind of restricting, right? You can't really do some of the stuff you would be able to do without them. But they're necessary at first. The tithe is like those training wheels. But the more we ride that bike of giving and generosity, by God's grace, those training wheels can come off and we experience a freedom and a joy to give as God provides for us and leads us to give. Grace giving isn't limited to the tithe. It isn't interested in trying to get by with just the bare minimum requirement. Grace giving is always trying to figure out how it can give more than it knows it can give. It's a lifestyle of giving by faith, which once again Jesus Christ gives us by His grace. So finally we see there is grace enough to give by faith. Look at verses 13 through 15 of chapter 8. He says, It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of quality. 
At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much and the person who had little did not have too little. And then look at chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one, meaning God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Paul here in chapter 8 uses the example of the manna in the wilderness. And it's a great example of living and giving by faith because no matter how much manna the Jews gathered each day, they always had just enough for that day. No more, no less. And in fact, if they tried to hoard the manna overnight, what happened to it? It rotted and it stunk. The lesson is simple. Gather what you need, share what you can, and don't try to hoard God's blessings. Gather what you need, share what you can, and don't try to hoard God's blessings. Trust that God will give you each day your daily bread. Grace giving is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trusting God's goodness and provision that your good shepherd will supply all your needs. just, Just as we are saved by grace through faith, we have to give by grace through faith. And when we do, we will experience an amazing freedom from consumerism and materialism and worry, that need to keep up with the Joneses. We're set free from that. And we begin to develop new values, new priorities. Grace giving blesses you as you bless others. It transforms you more and more into the image of Christ. It allows you to be an active part of God's redemptive work in the world. And that begins in your own heart and with your own family. And it extends to your church and to your school and to your workplace and to your neighborhood and to your community and to the ends of the earth. Are you excelling in the grace of giving? Are you willing to work at excelling more? in the grace of giving. Now last week I challenged us to work on getting to a place where we're serving the Lord at least two hours every week. It's not much, two hours every week. You spend more time than that on your smartphone probably in a day. Two hours a week serving God, whether that's through the church or in your schools or your your community, in some way serve the Lord. Well, I want to challenge us this week to also work on excelling in the grace of giving. I've already mentioned the many ways I think we as a church are doing that. We're excelling. There's always room to improve. There's always room to do more. Are you giving to the Go and Tell Fund regularly? You know, the more that comes into that fund, because it's all based on percentages, the more that comes into that fund, the more we get to disperse. The more needs we get to meet and disciples we get to make as we give to that. Or maybe the question for you is, how would God have you give this year to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I believe that we will exceed this year's goal just as we did last year, just as we've done all of our special offerings this year. How will God have you participate in that act of grace? Are you bringing all of God's tithe 
into a storehouse. And listen, I want to encourage you. Remember, this isn't about guilt. It's all about grace. Grace is the word here. This is not about guilt. It's about grace. You may say, well, David, I just don't think I can give 10%. I just don't think I, I just can't do that. Listen, baby steps in obedience is better than disobedience. Maybe God next year will have you increase your giving 0.25%, 0.5%, 1%. Whatever it is, I pray that God will give you the faith to trust Him and you give as God leads you. You give as God provides for you. That's where faith comes in. When we trust that God will enable us by His grace to give what He's calling us to give. And as I said earlier, the tithe is the low bar for the Christian. The important thing is that you're prayerfully seeking to give God what He's leading you to give and you do it cheerfully, you do it willingly, you do it enthusiastically, you do it from a heart of gratitude and love for God, for people, and for the Great Commission. Is that where you are in the grace of giving? We're proposing a $32,000 increase in next year's budget. Much of that going towards meeting the increasing needs we have in our next generation ministries. From, from preschool, from the nursery, preschool, children, youth, and college students, God is blessing our church. And we are growing. And so we're including funds in next year's budget for a part-time children's ministry coordinator. We want, from, from cradle to college, we want to be a part of what God is doing in our church right now for the next generation. It's like we talked about when I preached on Jesus is the vine, where you see a branch being fruitful, you want to prune it, you want to tend it, so it'll be more fruitful. And that's what we want to see as we reach families and children in our community. And given what we see in the news every day, I think you'll agree with me that now is not the time for Christians or churches to pull back a retreat from the encroaching darkness of the world. Amen? The world needs more of God's people going out as light into the darkness and being salt in the earth. The generations to come need Jesus. And they need His church to invest in them and to equip and encourage their parents and to strengthen their marriages. And that's what we as a church want to do, particularly going in to 2024. The need is great. The time is urgent. But guess what? Here's the good news. Our supplies are limitless. The on a thousand hills. He wants for nothing. The question is, will we give in faith? Will we release those resources He has given us with eagerness so the hungry can be fed, the sick can be tended, and the lost can be saved? Will we? You know what? You can't excel in the grace of giving if you yourself have not received God's grace given to you. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Jesus died upon that cross. He gave His all for you. He became sin that you might become the righteousness of God. If you've never received that free gift of God's grace, that indescribable gift, Paul calls, I invite you this morning, right now, to come and to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. As a Christian, maybe you've been worshiping with us, serving with us, and you know this is the church family that God would have you to excel in service and in giving. You want to come and experience here and share here more of God's grace. We invite you to come. Maybe this morning God is calling someone in this room or watching online or listening at home on the radio. Maybe God is calling you into ministry. 
whether that's a, a volunteer ministry through the church or if God's calling you to full-time Christian vocational service, will you obey what the Spirit of God is saying to you? And for every one of us, let's examine ourselves. Are we excelling in the grace of giving? Are we giving by faith, willingly, enthusiastically, out of love for God, for His church, and for this world? Would you stand with me and pray? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the challenge that it gives to us. We thank You, Lord, for the the instruction it gives to us. And sometimes these things are hard for us to to really absorb and to take in. And, And our world's priorities are very different than the kingdom of God. And it can be hard for us sometimes, Lord, to see that. But I pray Your Spirit would work in our hearts, work in our minds that we would want to give and serve and go and tell, not out of guilt, but out of grace. Not under compulsion, but cheerfully. Father, may we as a church, may we as individuals, may I and my family, Lord, may we excel in this grace of giving, that all gratitude and praise will be given to Jesus. It's in His name we pray.